Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. I'm your host, Nick Sigelski, and today is a very special episode because I am interviewing my co-host, Jen Allen Knuth. And this is an exciting one because Jen recently went on her own, and she's been speaking at SKOs, she's been running sales trainings, and she has been building her offering while selling it, which is something that you do when you're in the early stages. But that can be really, really hard. And today's episode was a phenomenal summary of how you should be running a discovery call. Honestly, whether or not you're in the building phase, Jen has some really great stuff around showing up with a problem hunch, getting intel from your ecosystem, using the reason that they found you as a way to drive discovery. This was a great episode. But Jen, why should people listen? Okay, two reasons. One, Nick puts me in the hot seat. Biggest reason and two, because I've always from, been from the belief that selling a service when you have nothing physical to show is a great teacher to lead great sales conversations. So break down how I do that in my own business today. And a three, a two, a one, book Jen for your SKO. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. All right, Jen, I'm interviewing you today. Welcome to the show. We start every episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. 
All right. Number one, don't wait until the first call to start discovery. Think about what do you hypothesize the problem might be before they tell you. Great. What's number two? Number two, don't get so wrapped up in the solution and the compelling event and the thing that we neglect to go backwards and make sure there's ultimately a problem worth solving. Beautiful. Round us out. What's number three? Disqualification. Do it early. Do it often. We are not for everybody, whether we're selling a service, a product, or ourselves. All right, Jen. So recently, You've gone out on your own and you've been selling sales training and speaking at SKOs and other big events. And you and I were talking on the pre-show about how you're sort of building your offering in flight. Like you're having sales calls now while figuring out what you're selling and how to sell it, which can be a really scary place, whether you're a founder or you're at an organization where you've got a new product suite or your the product is being sold in a different way. So we're really going to focus on like the selling wall building at the same time. I want to focus in on all of this stuff that you're doing before you even get on the first call with the customer. Talk to me about what's happening before you join the first call. Okay, so let's play it out. So step one is first and foremost, I know exactly what problems I help solve. And as obvious of a statement that is, sometimes I think in the interest of creating deals when there's a dry up of demand, we try to be something to everybody. I get an inbound request and it's someone I do not know who I don't think knows me. And it's just straight off from my website and says like, hey, we've got an SKO or sales kickoff on February 5th. And we're interested in hearing what you have to say about it. We're considering some speakers. I think as soon as I get that company name and that company person, I'm going to look at the company to say, can I envision the problem that I help companies solve happening in this business? Mm. That's going to be a very sharp yes or no answer. And I think if it's not and it's unclear, that means that either I haven't done enough homework on it or I'm not tight enough on what my value prop actually is. So I'm looking at the company to say, I help companies with problems like how do you sell against status quo or how do you sell when you've got big, large buying groups? So I'm looking to see, okay, if this company sells X, can I imagine that they sell to the CXO, the CXO? Can I picture what their buying circumstance might be? So I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the seller who would be the end user of what I sell. So that's step one. Step two, I'm looking to see, are they connected to anybody else in my network that I know is a speaker? So perfect example would be someone like Sam McKenna. Sam McKenna has been awesome. She does SKOs all the time. If I see that she might be connected to them, I might reach out to Sam and say, hey, out of curiosity, have you ever worked with this company before? Have they brought you in as a speaker? Because if that answer is yes, there is so much that I can learn from Sam before I ever get on the call, both good or bad. I didn't work with them because, or yes, I worked with them and here's what we covered. And that helps me avoid a landmine of potentially going in and talking about the same thing Sam did last year. So that's number two. And then number three is I'm looking at the person. Obviously, there's so much that happens in dark social. We never truly know before the call how someone found us, but I'm trying to get to my best estimated guess of either they follow me, they're connected to someone I know, and trying to come up with some hypothesis that gives me a best guess as to how they may potentially know me. So to recap what I heard from you, there's three main things that you're doing. One is you're coming up with a problem hunch. This company might have reached out to you just saying, we're doing an SKO, February 5th, we want to talk with you. But you're actually going one step back and saying, what might be the problem that they are looking to solve? 
Then what you're doing is you're looking at your ecosystem. Who operates in this space that this company is investigating? Because Jen, I think you're a fairly well-connected person. You probably have 800 mutual contacts with everybody who could be possibly wanting an SKO. You're looking at who's close to this type of solution or type of problem that I can get some insider info on that might help inform how I approach that call. And then the third thing you're doing is you're trying to figure out how did they even find you in the first place? Because that's also going to help inform your hypothesis. I'm curious about the problem hunch because they're reaching out to you saying, we want an SKO speaker. And you go look at their site and it's Nick's guacamole factory, where we create the best guacamole that we ship across the world to all sorts of different sales reps. When you get that inbound request from Nick's guacamole factory saying, we want an SKO speaker, how are you turning that into a problem? How are you determining what we might need help with? Uh, I love this question because I actually had a company that was so out of what I would consider my ICP reach out to me. And it wasn't Nick's guacamole, but it was kind of in the same vein. But I always try to think less about what it is the company does and more about how can I envision the problem that they might be facing. So let's say I am talking to Nick's guacamole, which let's totally make this a business. I'm thinking about the fact that Nick has a single branded product, right? And I would imagine that much of what Nick is probably trying to do is talk about the fact that, hey, it's homemade and it's my grandmother's recipe and it's special. I'm going to look at that problem and I'm going to say, let's step back what might be the flaw in that assumption? And the flaw in that assumption is that people would buy better. And we know all the time that people buy good enough. So I'm going to go in prepared on that call saying, look, I don't work within your four walls, but I was trying to think about if I was a seller selling Nick's guacamole, what might be hard about that? And the things that came to mind for me would be, seems like you might be priced a little bit higher than the average guacamole you see off the shelf. It seems like maybe you don't have the budget that Chipotle's guacamole has to sell. And it seems like maybe you have a really large universe of restaurants and individuals and consumers that you could target. Like those are three things that I would imagine if I started your business tomorrow would be really hard for me. Where am I off base? And what I'm trying to do there is just without saying like, I read your 10K or I did this, give me brownie points. I'm trying to show that I've gone beyond just reading it and collecting information to start contextualizing it. And I think what that does, or at least what I hope it does, is it shows the person, this is not someone who just did the baby check marks on their prep. This is someone who's really come to the call with a thoughtful hypothesis. But if you notice the language I use, I'm seeking to be corrected. Because no matter what prep I do, there is no way I understand what it's like to be a Nick's guacamole salesperson. And that's how I like to start every one of those calls because it immediately sets the tone of this is someone who's prepared, this is someone who's thoughtful, and I'm immediately asking someone to correct me, which initiates a two-way dialogue. It's one of those moments where we have an opportunity to take our sales rep hat off and be like, wait, hold on, you got to help me understand why is that? And I think there's something to someone teaching someone else something that makes them feel good right? Anytime you can give that feeling to someone else, not maliciously, but I think when it naturally happens, sets the right tone for a conversation. So I think it is totally okay to be wrong because people love to correct. So you're not being a predatory or manipulative learner, but you are making them feel like, oh, I'm teaching Jen something. I feel good inside. Jen makes me feel good. I want to go to the beginning of this call because you talked about the idea of presenting your like problem hypothesis point of view, but I'm very, very curious about how you are kicking these calls off and starting the conversation because 
I've talked to a decent number of like earlier stage founders recently or folks that are at very small companies and they're really struggling with natural small talk in the beginning of the call. They feel like it's really stilted or once they make small talk, they don't really know how to transition to the business conversation. And I have to imagine, Jen, you are a prolific figure and you are good at making small talk. What are some ways that you would help coach those folks who are struggling with those challenges? Okay, so secrets out. I actually suck at small talk. I was the salesperson that was always talking about the weather because I got so nervous. So it was something I had to work hard to be better at. For me, and I'm not saying this is the approach for everybody, for me, in almost every situation I possibly can, I try to make my quote unquote small talk about something interesting I saw about their business. Because the thing that I get antsy and awkward about is how do you make that awkward transition from like small talk unrelated to the topic at hand to now let's get back to the topic at hand. And what I found myself doing a lot was being like, so anyway, why we're here today. And it just felt weird. I felt like I was checking a box of I built rapport. So for me, I try to look at the business and I'll come in and I'll say, I've got a lot of questions. Obviously, I'm sure you do too. But I just have to say, I was looking at your company like I'd never heard of it. It looks like you do this. Do I have that right? And immediately ask them something that gets them talking about themselves. Because again, I do think when people get the opportunity to talk about themselves, they light up, they lean in. And I'm not worried about the talk listen ratio because they're already talking off the bat. So for me, I try to pick relevant to the conversation, relevant to their company. Again, showing I've taken a look, I've expressed genuine interest because particularly for what I do, if I'm going to stand on a stage, I, I damn well better care about what their business is doing. Oh, this makes me so happy, Jen, because I feel like the number one reason that a lot of people struggle with small talk is they're going in totally cold. And a sales conversation has enough pressure on you as a seller to like guide the conversation forward and ultimately try to sell something that the last thing you need to do is put extra pressure on yourself by figuring out, oh, uh, what's in Jen's background? Oh, is that a plant? You must be a horticulturalist, huh? And they're like, no. So the recommendation that I have is what you're doing, which is prepare what you're going to make small talk about. And I do the exact same thing. I try to make small talk about something that's like right next to the problem that I solve. So for 30 minutes to President's Club, what I'm looking for is like, have they released new content recently? Did they launch a new feature that they might want to advertise on our show? What's their sales team posting about? And so what I try to do is throw a dart at the small talk of something where they're like, yeah, we did just launch a new product. That's actually why I wanted to talk with you, Nick. We're really trying to promote it. And they're sort of rambling. on. How do you transition that to business then? Yep. So then I'm in favor of saying, if, again, these are situations where I don't know where they found me or heard about me. I think it's really important to ask that question. And I try to phrase it as humanly as possible. So I'll just be like, look, I look back. I can't tell that we've ever spoken to each other. I don't know how you even got my name. Do you mind just sharing so I'm not redundant and I'm not telling you things that you already know about me? So I'm trying to pair it with, I just don't want to be redundant. I think anytime you give someone a reason, that makes it okay to ask a bit of a selfish question. So I definitely want to know where they heard about me or how they found me, because that will also give me an indication of have they seen me speak? Am I completely blind to them? And then I know what work I need to get done in the call. And that's helping calibrate how you ultimately pitch, run discovery, et cetera. Okay, I'm the buyer here and I say something like, yeah, Jen, you know, I've seen your stuff on LinkedIn for years and I actually saw you speak on a webinar recently and I just I really like your style and we're planning this SKO and I wanted to see if you'd be uh, open to speak and learning your rates. Where do you go from there? Okay. So then what I'm doing is I'm giving them a preview for the rest of the call. So what I would say in response to that is something like this. 
there's a lot of questions I'm sure you have. I have questions too, like date, logistics. We'll get to that. But before we get to any of it, I think probably the most important thing is to make sure I understand what is it that you are trying to achieve with the sales kickoff itself. And then I frame what I am. So what I am not is a motivational speaker. I I always hated motivational speakers at SKOs because I'm like, I got better things to do than sit here and listen to you talk about how you climbed a tree. So I state up front what I am not. So I'll say, as we get into this conversation, I want to make it super clear. I am not for everybody. I might not be the right fit for you. I will commit to you that I will tell you exactly where I think I can help and exactly where I can't. And if I find out that within a couple minutes, you're looking for something that I'm not, what I will do is give you a list of names of people that I think could really do a killer job of this. And so what I want it to feel like is not a sales call. I just don't want them to feel like I'm going to pitch them regardless of what they say and I'm going to spin and twist. In my head, I think what I'm trying to do is say thermometer is really high when you start a sales call because they're looking at you. We're looking at them. We're like, are you going to pitch me? Are you going to be like a discount queen? What is this going to be like? And I'm just trying to lower it, right? And just be like, let's just have a conversation. If I'm not the right person, I'm not going to force it upon you. And I just found that it made the conversation feel much less pressured when I did that. So that's why I try to do that up front now intentionally. I want to go back to, they came to you saying, Jen, we're having an SKO. We're looking for a speaker. We want to hear if you can do it. What is your reason for going up to the, what are you looking to accomplish? What are you looking to get out of this thing? Why aren't you just going into the logistics of this thing and explaining why you're a good fit? I think because it's really for me selfishly, it's to understand, does this person one know what they want? Which you would think logically someone would, but it is not lost on me how often people are like, I was just given the task of finding a speaker. And I think this happens a lot, like not just in speaker land, but I was given the task of finding a tool, right? And then it helps you gauge how informed is this person? How senior is this person? Is this person responsible for making the decision? You can learn so much from those answers that helps us understand like how much power I put in their hands moving forward. So that's the reason behind why I do it. But I'm also looking to hear, are any of the hypotheses I came into the call, are they playing out? And if they are not, I am not going to say, okay, put them on the back shelf and don't worry about them because I had the wrong thing. I'm still going to raise them. So let's say we're talking to Guacamole and they're like, I'm just looking for a speaker because it's our first time bringing the sales team together and we really want to make sure we do a great job at the event. I could go and run on that trail. Well, what does good job mean? And what do you look at? I could take that. But I know that's probably not a scenario that I'm really going to win on. And so what I'll do is I'll say, great. It's awesome to hear that you're making the investment to bring these people together. Do you mind if I share just a couple of things that I observed as a total outsider and see if I'm on the money on any of these? And just be blatantly honest if I'm totally off the mark. So what I'm trying to do subtly, is make sure that they are evaluating the speaker in the way that I know I will be favored to win. So what I mean is if they are just like, okay, you've done this and this, and here's your resume and your bio, I'll pass that on. I probably won't win that because I'm not an author. I've never won an Olympic medal. I don't have a pedigree like a lot of professional speakers do. So I have to win by getting that buyer to say, that's the stuff we need to talk about. And so that's the nuanced way that I'm trying to get them to evaluate me in the way that I want them to. That is really brilliant. You win because you have the market sense and the expertise to be able to put yourself in the shoes of this organization and say, I think this is what your sales team is struggling with. 
And when they interview a professional athlete to come speak at their SKO, that person might have a whole different set of skills. And if they're selling their SKO speaking, if they were a great seller, they would be pulling in a different direction. And what you're starting to do is teach them this is the criteria upon which you should be using to evaluate stuff like this. Exactly. I want to ask you about the intern who submits that demo request on your site. <laughs> They've been at the company for, what's this, three weeks, and it looks like you go to their LinkedIn and they're a summer intern, and <laughs> it's clear that they don't have any sort of political capital buying authority, and they say, yeah, I was told just to put together a list of SKO speakers, like, what do you cost? What are you doing in that scenario? Because my guess is that's different than when you're meeting with like a global head of enablement. Yeah, that is such a good question. I think there's two possible scenarios. So one is I always try to relate to them, right? I think the faster we get to human, the more actual true information we get. So what I mean by that is I would say, look, I'm not to be creepy, but I did look at your LinkedIn profile. It looked like you just started the company really recently. This might be totally out of bounds, but did someone just put this on your desk and say, go run with it? And usually what you get to that is a laugh. And I think a laugh breaks, again, some of that tension and awkwardness. Yeah. And then you get the real answers. And then I think it's fair to be like, a lot of times when I talk to people who are in the same position you are, like they're given very limited information of what they should be looking for. They're given a pricing amount that they can't go over. Yep. They're given a few names with no context as to why they were picked. And then they're told just to pick the best one. And they're sitting there like, how do I make that decision? they'll do one of two things. They'll either be like, no, that's not it at all. Like I'm a professional speaker picker and that's why I was chosen to be the intern, which really never happens. Yeah. Or they'll laugh again and they'll be like, yeah, that's where I'm at with this. And so that again is where I am then helping coach them. So I'm going to say to them, look, I have sat in audiences of sales kickoffs for 18 years. And here's the things that I think salespeople tend to not love about sales kickoffs. Mm. And here's the way in which that I try to get around that. And if I look at your business as an outsider, see this and this, it tells me that this is probably the thing that your salespeople might be struggling with and probably the thing they want to hear more about. I can give you all the information that you need to ask me, my rates, my experience, my bio, all that stuff. But can you do me something in exchange? Can you take this back? and see how that is received by the buying group and let me know. Because if they are totally not open to it, that's okay, but let's just cut bake soon. And that's what I mean by disqualifying early and often. That person may be in a situation where they just have to find the cheapest speaker. I'm not going to win that. I never win that. And that's yeah. okay. But I'm trying to commercially coach them on what is it that I would like to see them do so that they ultimately do the job that they have, which is put on a great sales kickoff, pick a great speaker that makes them look good, but give them what they probably were not given by their organization. So that's option one. Option two is what is the decision criteria for this that you were given? Is it even worth me going into these topics and what it presents? So I think it's a little bit of like a gut instinct. You've got to read the personality of the person in the room. You can tell if someone is a little tense and uneasy, they're probably uncomfortable with the job they were given. You used an interesting phrase, which was commercially coach. And I'm wondering if you can explain what that means to our audience who isn't familiar with the term. Yeah. So I learned that from my time at Challenger. Commercial coaching means we assume that because a buyer is in the position of power, they know how to buy and how to make decisions. More often than not, that's completely untrue, but they're not going to be the one that raised their hands and says it. And so by commercially coaching, what I mean is being prescriptive, not telling, but suggesting Here's typically the things that are going to be important as you evaluate this decision. 
and using soft language so it doesn't come across as you're talking at them. But here's what I've seen be really effective. Here's what I've seen is not so effective. So you're just subtly coaching them around how to make the decision. Are there other types of soft language that you can share? Using words like might, maybe. I think in sales, we're often taught that you have to be so assertive and aggressive and you have to come in so strong and their confidence in you is a reflection of your confidence in yourself. And and confidence absolutely plays a role in sales. But I think being intentional around mites and maybes is so welcomed by the buyer because nobody likes to be talked at. So regardless of what you are asking or phrasing, the more you can use those words, I think actually the more powerfully your message lands. It's so true. One of the first things that I got taught in my early sales career was buyers want to feel like they are special and they do not want to be put in the same box as everybody else. And I learned it in the context of when you're telling customer stories or sharing case studies, if you say, oh, Jen, your situation is exactly like Co over here, you actually turn the buyer off because now they're looking for the tiny minuscule detail that makes them not exactly like that. And it ruins your credibility. And you're actually better off saying, you sort of remind me of customer A over here. It's not exact, but these three things I feel like really match up. And when you have unsure tones or those sort of hesitancies or that softer language You come across as someone who gets it, but you're not acting like you totally 100% have downloaded their brain because if that were the case, they don't need to share any more detail with you. And so you're actually encouraging them to share more. So I love what you're doing there. And on that note, I think the hardest times it is to do that is when you do have that cookie cutter situation. You're like, I literally just got off a call with someone last week. And when you have the restraint to hold yourself back and still use that unsure language, that happened to me this week. It was like verbatim, same challenges, same things. And I was like, God, just like chomping at the bit. Having that restraint is so helpful to the conversation. I love it. Okay, so let's recap how this call has gone so far. You got the inbound request. You figured out your problem hunch. You got some insider information from folks in the same ecosystem, and then you tried to figure out how they found you. You got on the call. You made some small talk related to their business, and then you got them talking about how they found you and the outcome they're looking to accomplish. Along the way, you started to pull the buying criteria in the direction of where you win by sharing your hunches of the call prep you did and why you think that has implications for their business. And so if you've done all this right, my guess is you've also shared some information around your offering, what you cost, availability, et cetera. Talk to me about how you run the very last piece of the call to keep the sale moving forward or get it out of your pipeline if it shouldn't be a deal. Yep. So I am going into every single conversation with the assumption or belief that this person, no matter how senior they are, probably still has to ask somebody else. And so I put that on the table and I'll say it just like that. I've never been in a sales call for something like this where someone has made this decision independently. Now you might be my special unicorn, but let's pretend like you're not. Who else is responsible for putting together your SKO? And who else are you looking at to also be a speaker? And notice I say who else, not is there anybody else? When you say it assumptively, I think you get more honest answers. And then I will play out, all right, I've heard of them, I haven't, whatever. From what I can tell, they look like they're great at this. 
help me understand as you guys are coming together to make this decision, how does that final decision get made? But I'm never going to knock someone else down. So I've been in situations where they're like, I'm looking at this person, this person, and I know all three of them. I'll actually lean in and say, you know what I really love about this person is this. And you know what I really love about that person is this. Because regardless of what happens now, and this is true in my opinion for all sales, not just speaker sales, I will never burn a bridge on a relationship just to win a deal in the short term, particularly in this space. And so I want that person to leave the call being like, this is not a cutthroat, winner-take-all type of person, because that's also a reflection of what the experience of work with me would be like. So I'm very careful to say, let me play up the competition instead of knock it down. I also think that breeds confidence. And then once I get an idea of who else is involved, are they gunning to bring in this person or this person? I'll make a prescriptive recommendation around, here's what we typically do at this point. You are probably going to have a conversation and narrow it down from six to two. If I do make it into that two, I'm going to assume the people that do not know me and have never seen me speak are going to be like, who is Jen? And so what I would recommend is based on what we've talked about today, I can give you a couple of videos that will give them an idea of my style. So if they hate me right off the bat, we can make this super easy for you to decide to go with the other person. How does that sound to you? In any seller's work, there is something that gives them an idea of what they can expect. I think we've got to lead with that and recognize that a lot of people like to consume things on their own. Really good. So you dug into competitors, you dug into buying committee, you dug into buying process, and you suggested a step to help tilt the odds in your favor. At what point in the call are you doing that? I presume you have a 30-minute call. Are you waiting until you have five minutes left, two minutes left, 10 minutes left? How long do you budget for that part of the conversation? On my best behavior, I'm leaving 10 minutes. Yeah. On my worst behavior, I'm leaving like three minutes. I definitely done that and kicked myself and been like, okay, you, now you just found out there's four other people. You don't have enough time to get those questions answered. And now I'm inconveniencing the buyer, right? Because I'm like, can you give me five more minutes? That's the worst case scenario. That is what I hate doing. But sometimes you fall into that trap. But I think 10 minute mark is where I'm like, all right, now let's talk about what happens from here. It's tough. You really have to be disciplined. Gosh, Jen, I feel like I could just spend hours and hours with you, which lucky me, I get to when you co-host with me. But we're running out of time and we got to move to the final question. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. So last question, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break? Mm, you know this because you know me now. It's leading with our solution and hoping that our solution will wow them. Always, always, always. And I try not to use always and never, but I will make this exception. Always dig into the problem first. Bring a hypothesis on that problem because a solution-led call is just dollar signs. A problem-led call, people lean far more forward on. And I think you'll find that people will bring you in, bring others in when you're an expert on selling the problem as opposed to just the solution. Beautiful. Jen, thanks for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. 
Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top four actionable takeaways from Jen Allen Knuth. Number one, do not put your customer in a box. Instead, use soft language like typically or hey, here's what I've seen before or you sort of remind me of this. Number two, Before you have an introductory meeting with a prospect, mine your ecosystem for intel about have they worked with them, what was it like, etc. It will help inform how you run the call. Number three, always assume that there are multiple decision makers in the buying process as opposed to just one person. There might just be one buyer if someone's buying a tub of guacamole, but if you're buying a year's supply of guacamole, they're probably going to confer with another person on the buying committee. And then number four, a great way to build credibility in the beginning of your sales calls is to tell your prospect who you are not for. It shows that you have standards for the types of folks that you work with. It shows that you have a certain swing zone and it makes them say, cool, this person is upfront and honest. All right, Nick, how can people help us out? Well, we got an easy one, folks. Jen is ready to speak, to train. If you're interested in having somebody who I think extremely highly of, and I've learned a lot about selling from, I really would implore you to book Jen for your SKO or reach out to her. I think she's somebody that can really help a lot of salespeople who are struggling right now. She's a kind, thoughtful, easy to work with person, and that means a lot. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on the show. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes.
Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes.